Today's guest, Dr. Rick Hong, currently serves as the State Medical Director of Delaware's Division of Public Health. Leveraging expertise in healthcare logistics and operations, EMS and emergency preparedness and public health to protect the public and the healthcare infrastructure from critical threats. A member of the DPH team since 2005, Dr. Hong also holds the role of medical director for the state's Office of Preparedness. His medical expertise supports the mission of statewide healthcare preparedness in the setting of mass casualty incidents, including chemical, biological, radiation, nuclear, traumatic, and natural hazards. He has served as a medical director of the Delaware Medical Reserve Corps acted as the medical liaison officer in the incident command of the State Health Operations Center and chaired the Delaware Ethics Advisory Group. Dr. Hong is board certified in emergency medicine and in emergency medical services, completing his emergency medicine residency at Cooper University Hospital and graduating from University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. He received a Bachelor of Arts in Chemistry from University of Pennsylvania and a Bachelor of Science in Economics and Healthcare Management and Policy from the Wharton School. Hello and welcome to this special episode of the DINCAST. I'm one of your co-hosts, Garrett Morosky, and I have Mike McDonald. Hi, Mike. Hello. Hi, Garrett. And we're joined today with Stacy Schiller. She's our head of marketing and public relations of the DIN. Glad How to you, be Stacey? here. Great, great. We have a very special guest today. Uh, we have Dr. Rick Hong, and he works with the uh, State of Delaware Department of Public Health. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. Thank you. And obviously, we all know why. We have you on here. We need to talk about the current crisis going on with COVID-19, and we wanted to see if you could help us out with some information for the citizens of the state. Absolutely. I really appreciate the opportunity to do so. Um, I think this is a very important time that we continue to share information with the public to have a better understanding of what's going on in the state. Great. And hopefully we can help you do that. First off, we were wondering, you know, as an epidemiologist, to help most people understand your role what do you do and how does this relate to the current COVID-19 situation? Right. So so as a disclaimer, I am not an epidemiologist by trade. I am a board-certified physician in emergency medicine and EMS. However, I have the pleasure of working with an awesome team of epidemiologists here at the Division of Public Health in Delaware. And their main function is really to track infectious diseases within the community and perform investigations as needed to help identify those at risk, as well as any potential transmissions further on down the road. Uh, they've been working very hard uh, on COVID-19, uh, working seven days a week and doing whatever they can do uh, to reduce the spread of infection within the community. Well, in terms of the current crisis, just to get this out of the way, because I know we have a lot of people that will hopefully listen to more than the first 10 minutes, but what are the top three things you think we Delaware citizens really need to know right now? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So um, really, we just want to share... Uh, information with the public that this is scary and I understand that. However, 80% of folks with this strain of coronavirus uh, is not sick enough to require uh, medical attention, hospitalization, or critical uh, care. Um, So if you are well, uh, please practice social distancing as much as you can from other people. That really means staying six feet away from people And by practicing social distancing, you're actually protecting yourself, your family, and other people, especially the vulnerable population within the community. Our second recommendation would be that if you're sick, please stay home. Uh, We are seeing transmission of illness from those that are sick that continue to work, continue to 
uh, be present in public settings. So please, 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 if you are sick, stay home. Call your primary care provider to talk about your symptoms and what the next step should be. You should not automatically go to the emergency department. Only if you need that level of medical care should you go to the emergency department. However, going to the emergency departments just for testing is not recommended and not necessary for this situation. Really, the disease is evolving, and we are noticing initial symptoms often include body aches and sore throat, as well as our concerns for fever, cough, and shortness of breath. Um, I understand this is very concerning, but we have to make sure that we don't panic and that we call our uh, primary care physician and discuss next steps. Um, And our third recommendation is that we need to stay at home. And I know that we already mentioned that, but we're going to repeat that again, is that you need to stay home and don't go out into the public. Just kind of remember what the common ways are to spread diseases, which be um, if you don't wash your hands when you need to, as well as if you don't cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. So please remember to wash your hands frequently as well as cover your mouth either with the inner side of your elbow or something disposable when you cough or sneeze. And of course, um, make sure you keep surfaces clean, especially common surfaces where there might be some contamination. Uh, so those will be my recommendations for this situation. So I think that's that's really helpful, Dr. Hong. Now, if, if we heed these warnings and the orders that um, you described and that the CDC and the state are laying out, how long do you think before Delaware can flatten the curve? Yeah, so that's a good question. It's a tough question to ask. Um, you know, there are many other factors involved. All we can ask uh, the public to do is do what you need to do to prevent further spread of disease. And we will see that flattening of the curve, hopefully sooner than later, maybe in weeks or a couple months. But there are other factors involved. So it's hard for me to predict that well uh, when we should see that flattening of the curve. Uh, so, Dr. Hong, what do you think are some strengths that the Delaware healthcare system currently has to help with this kind of event? Like, how do you see the role that DIN plays and how about the hospitals and general care providers? Yeah, so, so I think one of the wonderful things here in Delaware is that we have such a great relationship uh, between the Division of Public Health and our healthcare partners, whether it's uh, hospital partners, whether it's long-term care partners or ambulatory practitioners, that you know, being a small state, there are advantages. Um, many other states, they have multiple layers of public health. Uh, there's only one public health entity in Delaware, which is us, the Division of Public Health. So our healthcare partners deal directly with the state. Um, so I think there are advantages, particularly in this situation, because we know each other very well. We are on first name basis and we build this trust and cooperation that you may not find in other systems since uh, we are a centralized uh, public health department. Information sharing is very important. Again, having those partnerships with hospitals, general care providers, uh, long term care providers and so forth is very important. This is where I think uh, DIN comes into play becoming a very important tool we have in this battle against this pandemic. You know, having the information readily available when we have cases, when we have patients, you know, having information with their medical conditions, information on what testing has been done so far, previous visits can all help us determine the risks that the public is in during this situation. So I'm really grateful that we have did here in Delaware. And yeah, that's the benefit of being a smaller state is easier to sometimes work together. There's not as many. uh, Yeah. And I totally agree with you there. And yeah, and I, we definitely try to take advantage of that as much as possible, working closely with our partners. Right. And that helps with care coordination. Great. Absolutely. All right. There's also been a lot of attention on the testing process in general. Why is the testing process so important? Uh, So the testing process is part of the way to 
prevent and mitigate the current situation. But I also want to note that testing is not the end-all, do-all to beat this. Um, I know there's a lot of concerns about testing and people want to know if they're positive or negative. But just one reminder, in this particular disease process, there's no specific treatment for COVID-19. So, you know, even if the test is positive, there's really no treatment other than what we discussed before is really social distancing. Don't go to work when you're sick. Cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. Um, and wash your hands frequently. So really the advice we're giving is the best treatment for COVID-19. In some situations, it's important to get tested if there's a risk to spread to others that are high risk, such as, for instance, in a school or in a daycare or uh, in a long-term care facility, places like that where we really need to know what the results of the testing is because other people in close contact could be impacted. So I think the testing process is important, but it's not the most important aspect of this. And we have to remind the public that just because you don't have an answer doesn't mean you can't do what you can do to prevent this, which, as I mentioned before, is really social distancing and good hygiene. Thank you, Dr. Hung. I had a question in regards to uh, daycares. There's been a lot of concern about daycares remaining open. What should we know about children carrying COVID-19? And I did receive a lot of questions regarding children and how they may be impacted by COVID-19. Now, kids can get sick as well as adults with COVID-19, but based on numbers, it seems that they are not the population at risk for complications from COVID-19. It does look like that the older population are at higher risk. It doesn't mean that we should not forget about the kids as the children can expose others. So there is that concern that children could be carrying disease and passing on to those that are more susceptible. However, we have to remember the the negatives when you close down daycares. When you close down daycares, then families have to stay home or find another method uh, or way to take care of their kids. So, you know, there's an economic factor to that. There's also the the workforce factor that, especially if they're healthcare providers, if they are at home taking care of their kids, uh, they may not be available to take care of everyone else within the community. So I know there are concerns and they're valid concerns, but it's not a simple decision. We just close daycares. We have to really consider the risk regarding the daycare and what impact it may have in our communities. That's a good point, Dr. Hong, and this is Stacy Schiller. I had a question for you about the economic impact. One of the challenges I'm sure that your team is facing is balancing the public health need with the overall health, quote unquote, of our state. And I know folks have asked questions about businesses that are still open, businesses that are closed, that type of thing. Is public health working closely with the governor's office, with other folks within the state to try and really make sure that we're able to keep some level of business continuing for the sake of our of our state's residents while also preserving our collective health? And that's a great question. And we take that very seriously. And these are tough decisions. Just kind of giving you an overview, uh, currently we have 115 positive cases as of the end of the day on Tuesday, March 24th. 78 are in Newcastle County, 13 are in Kent, and 24 are in Sussex. We do unfortunately have 14 people that are hospitalized statewide, including six in critical conditions. And we are seeing positive cases between the ages of one and all the way up to 90 years of age. Given our case situation, you know, we've been following very closely. It's not an easy decision for us to just close businesses or close schools down, that we try to escalate our response based on what's going on in the state. Governor Carney did update his state of emergency declaration, ordering Delawareans to stay at home whenever possible 
and closing all non-essential businesses in the state to help stop community spread of COVID-19. As you know, this was not the very first thing that we enacted to slow down the transmission, that this was a situation in which as the um, situation develops, we decide that that was the next best thing to do, but we did take in consideration all those folks that are impacted from an economic standpoint. It's great to see that the community is standing up and, you know, we're trying to support these businesses that had to close. So it's great that the community is supporting that decision, but we do understand the individual impact uh, to our residents. The governor also declared a public health emergency in Delaware to strengthen our healthcare workforce by enabling medical professionals with out-of-state licenses who are retired but also in good standing to support Delaware's healthcare workforce needs. So we are trying to balance those uh, those situations in which the transmission needs to be controlled for the public good, but we also want to do it through a phased process to order to protect our citizens from other impacts such as the economic factor. Great. And, and speaking of the testing. How do we make sure enough tests get to the people who actually need them in times like this? So we do have capacity to test, but not everyone needs to be tested. And again, this is something I hope that we can share with the public, that if you do have symptoms that are concerning for COVID-19, you can already do something about it. And it's not getting tested, but it's really you know making sure that you don't spread the illness, make sure you uh, practice social distancing, good hygiene, staying home from work and things like that. We do have enough tests. Uh, to test those at higher risk, whether it's for complications or high risk to spread to high risk populations. So there is a, a priority group uh, or groups that should get testing first. And we hope that the public understands that testing really does not impact uh, the average citizen who has no medical problems that can stay home, um, not get, you know, not spread the illness to others. Again, there's no specific treatment for this, but there are other folks who are higher risk for complications as well as spreading to others. So we are gauging the need for testing to those that truly need testing. And Dr. Hong, I think that that's so important that it bears repeating. So if I feel as though I am coming down with COVID-19, I know what the warning signs are, I probably have been exposed. Are you suggesting then that it may be worthwhile for me to treat it as we've talked about in the comfort and safety of my own home versus insisting on trying to get tested? Absolutely. The testing most often does not change what we do. You should still discuss your symptoms, your primary care provider. Also want to remind folks that those symptoms can be from other things that's not COVID that may have treatment. Right. Seasonal influenza is coming, you know, coming to hopefully end soon, but there's treatment for influenza, there's treatment for ear infections, there's treatment for strep throat, there's treatment for various other illnesses with similar symptoms, but we don't want people just assume it's COVID and get tested. And then more importantly, if the test comes back negative, they said they're not worried about when something else could be going on. So just want to remind folks that 80% of folks with COVID-19 do not need medical treatment. So talk to your family doctor. Don't worry about the treatment or the testing. Make sure you get the right assessment evaluation. If you're at higher risk for complications, as I said before, you're working in a high-risk population setting, such as a hospital, such as a long-term care facility, such as a daycare or something like that, then there might be value for you to be tested, not necessarily for your own sake, but for those that are around you. Um, so I appreciate that you're emphasizing this point, that testing is a piece of the puzzle, but ultimately we each have the ability to prevent this from getting worse by staying at home and practicing good hygiene. So essentially what to do is just wait it out, see how serious it gets. If you do have an, a need to go, go ahead and go uh, contact the hospital facility and decide from there, but don't just show up. 
just work with your doctor and arrange it. If Absolutely. Need it. Yeah. And, 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 and yes, go ahead. I just wanted to say one thing I had heard as well. It's not just social distancing, but if you are in a house with a family, if you think that you're coming down with these symptoms, you should probably basically quarantine yourself in your house as well from the other family members, correct? Exactly. So that's that's called self-isolating at home. And if you are sick with symptoms concerned for COVID-19, you should social distance yourself within your home. I know that may be difficult at times, but you should do your best to keep your family protected. You should be staying in a separate room. If you have a separate bathroom, that's even better. And try to keep people away from you at least six feet distance apart. Uh, in terms of the testing process, I've, I have heard a lot of questions about it. What path does a test travel once it's actually collected? Uh, so that's a good point. So I do want to bring up that we have expanded our capacity to collect specimens. We have statewide testing at standing healthcare facility testing sites, which began on Monday to ensure that those with symptoms have access to safe, efficient testing in Delaware. It is important that these sites are not walk-in testing sites. Again, we don't want to have sick people congregate at these testing sites. So there are processes in place, and I, I understand it is a, a process there, but I would like the public to be patient with the process and follow the process, which typically includes either an email or phone uh, phone call to these sites to get an appointment. Once that's done, they follow the process. Once they get a physician's order or provider's order, they show up to the testing site as scheduled. They get their specimens collected. From there, these specimens are sent to a lab. Depending on the situation, they can go to a reference lab or they can go to our state lab. Uh, depending on which lab it goes to, it may take a couple of days, may take a little bit longer to get results. However, during that time, most importantly, since you are being tested for coronavirus, then you must practice social distancing and stay home. It does not mean that you should start going out in public because, again, we are waiting for the results to come back. So I need the public. Once you get tested, you need to self-isolate yourself at home, practice social distancing, and wait for the test results. I'm assuming as well, as long as the, uh, the public's following the guidelines you just suggested as far as who needs testing, who should get testing, the bandwidth at the state labs and the labs is able to handle the process quite well right now. Yes, as long as, you know, if everyone follows the screening process and the criteria that's listed uh, by the Division of Public Health, uh, we should have the testing capacity for those that truly need to be tested. Okay. And, and do you know why the hospital labs are not being used to process these tests? Just curious if you knew. So it's all based on capacity capabilities. Some hospitals are planning to start testing within their health system. Again, it was just waiting for resources availabilities, waiting on technology. You know, So the way the uh, testing supplies and capabilities kind of rolled out, it started off at the federal level and then it got got shared to the state level labs and then went to commercial labs and now it's going to individual facilities. So I do anticipate that many of our health systems can start testing internally. So Dr. Hong, speaking of supplies and, and turning the shifting the conversation a little bit, one of the things that we're all hearing a lot about is how limited the resources are for our hospitals and our healthcare providers right now. And with your experience in managing crises and working in the healthcare delivery system during times like this, do you have any advice for all of us in terms of what we can do to help, um, whether it's providing supplies, raising money, staying home, of course, but what can we do to help our healthcare systems here in Delaware manage what they have in the hopes that we can get through this comfortably? Right. And, you know, something as healthcare systems, as a healthcare provider, we can't do this alone. And, you know, 
any opportunity I have to share uh, is basically asking the public for for its help. That, you know, this is not just a medical community problem. This is all our problem. And we are seeing such positive responses in the community. I have members of the community offering to make supplies such as masks and and gowns and things like that. And, you know, we have folks donating food and, you know, sharing positive feedback to, to us. And it's so warming to see that happen. But, you know, we still are asking the public to be mindful of what you're purchasing and stockpiling. There is a competition out there for some of these supplies. And we are asking that you consider that healthcare workers, healthcare system are in greater need for masks, whether it's a face mask or N95 respirator, or it could be face shields or goggles, gloves, gowns, that please, there's more benefit for a healthcare worker to use those supplies to take care of multiple patients. There has been no study to show that just wearing a mask in the public for general use is effective. So it's more effective in the hands of healthcare providers who are face-to-face with sick people that we can reduce the spread of disease, not just to ourselves as healthcare workers, but also to our other patients. So I think that's my biggest ask to the public regarding supplies is don't stockpile your own masks and face shields and things like that. Please consider the best use for them, which will be in the hands of the healthcare workers. I had a question as far as what about like routine medical appointments? You know, should I reschedule dental or routine medical appointments right now during this time? So it's, so it's interesting you kind of mentioned that piece. We are seeing concerns or we are having concerns that, you know, the public is so concerned about what's out there that they're canceling appointments without talking to their primary care physicians or providers first. My concern with that is that there's an important need to maintain routine medical appointments, whether it's in person or it's through telemedicine or telehealth, because there are many folks out there have chronic diseases that require medications, you know, maybe medications need refills or maybe just needs to be checked upon. And by missing those appointments or missing your medications, those chronic illnesses can become acute and you just create another problem beyond the COVID-19 situation. A good example is, you know, if you are diabetic and you're running out of your medicines such as insulin and you choose to skip your appointments and you don't get a refill, you can go into a diabetic emergency, which is could be far more deadly than being exposed to coronavirus-19. So we have asked our, our partners in, in the ambulatory setting to please make sure you keep uh, your appointments, whether it's through virtual or through in-person, whatever is more appropriate, make sure that we continue to see these patients so that their chronic needs are met and we don't create acute needs because of this situation. Right, and it's important the public realizes that places like kidney dialysis stations and things like that are being very careful about contamination as well. and sanitation. So, Yeah, and, and that's a good point as well, because um, our dialysis centers are prepared to take care of folks who may have coronavirus-19. They have created procedures and processes in place, maybe opening up late hours or bringing uh, folks earlier in the day so they're isolated or alone. So we're doing what we can in the healthcare sector to manage uh, these folks to make sure that they do maintain their routine activities regarding medical care. Uh, So we just need to make sure the patient also does the same. Great. And I I have a kind of a general question as far as, you know, right now the public is still venturing out for groceries, still venturing out for supplies, routine doctor's appointments, such. What would you, would you be able to walk us through what's the proper process to really ensure that if you have to venture out, how are you going to keep yourself safe while you're out and lower the risk of actually contracting the virus when you are out? Like, is there a process for dealing with your hands in general? We get that, but not necessarily 
everybody doesn't necessarily need a mask. Does hand sanitizer truly work? <laughs> Those kind of things. So like, what would you do step-by-step if you return home from somewhere? And also, if you get deliveries from Amazon or grocery delivery service, what should you do when that's dropped off at your doorstep? Yeah, that's a lot of questions there. Let me to see what I can uh, do to answer them. So, you know, I think the very first step when you decide to leave your home is that do you truly need to leave your house? Now, it's understandable if you need to make, you know, go to a doctor's office for an appointment or if you have to go to a grocery store. Those are important and you could reduce your risk of getting sick while you're out there. Um, You know, some people choose to wear a mask. You know, wearing a mask just for public contact, regular contact is not necessarily helpful. You know, uh, but however, certain things like, you know, your shopping cart, you should wipe it down with a with a hand wipe or something like that, uh, because those are commonly used surfaces that may have a chance of of having infection or contact with infection that you might be able to to uh, get by touching the cart. Uh, so things like that, I think, would be a bigger bang for your buck versus just wearing a mask and walking around. However, you're expected to go to a a setting where you're going to be in close contact with many people, then wearing a mask might be more beneficial in that situation. So you kind of have to use your judgment. But first of all, you need to make a decision whether do you really need to go out. You know, hand sanitizers are good. But again, if you can avoid touching public surfaces as much as possible, that might be more impactful than just using your hand sanitizer frequently. If you're headed to a place if you can call ahead to let them know you're you're coming in, such as a doctor's office, that way they can be prepared for you, um, so they can get ready upon your arrival. So the early notification is is good as well too. So I'm not sure there's a step by step process, but I think the very first step and the most important step is: Do you really need to go out? As as more people stay home, we will limit the spread of disease. So I think that's uh, very important in that aspect. In terms of deliveries, and you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of opportunities for delivery services, whether it's from a restaurant or from Amazon or things like that. You know, most many of the delivery services are now um, not uh, showing up at the doorstep; they're just leaving the item and then they're walking away and then notifying you that they're there. Um, actually, I just uh, purchased pizza from a chain uh, yesterday, and I remember when I went online, it gave me an option: do I want a face-to-face delivery or do I want them leaving on the doorstep? So, you know, kudos to uh, vendors like that who are being sensitive to that. It just not protects me, but also protects the driver, delivery person as well too. You know, some people are concerned enough they want to wipe down boxes and things like that. It is true that the virus can stay on certain servers for a couple days. But, you know, use your judgment. If you're concerned with items that might be contaminated, you can consider wiping them down. Uh, But ultimately, there's very little risk of getting sick from deliveries of packages or food or things like that. So again, use a little little judgment there. I don't want people to panic and wiping down everything that comes in. But again, depending on what's in the packaging, depends how it's delivered, that might determine what's the best way to react. I think that's a really good point, Dr. Hong, and one of the things that I've seen a lot of conversation about online is the virus's ability to live on surfaces, in cardboard, on newspapers, et cetera. And from what I had read, while that is a possibility, the the thought that you may contract through that is is so minuscule. And so I just want you to repeat that for folks who are with our at-home anxiety about this, concern that there may be the opportunity to contract that through something like a cardboard box or a newspaper. I just think that's worth repeating. 
Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Uh, you know, there are some studies that show that the virus can can survive a couple days or even longer on certain surfaces. But again, it really depends on the environment. It depends on the surface, if it's porous versus non-porous. It also depends on the temperature around it. It depends whether there's moisture in the area and things like that. So it's not a, it's not a specific time frame that the virus can live outside the body. It really depends on many factors. However, the risk is still very low to transmit disease from that type of surface. It's still very wise that you should wash your hands after you touch these surfaces if you're concerned. Uh, some people, like I said, prefers to wipe them down, which uh, I'm not sure if that's really necessary. However, I think it's good to understand that there is a possibility that there might be transmission uh, regardless of how minuscule it is. I think your most effective practice is really going to be washing your hands after touching these surfaces. You know, once you touch the surface, make sure you don't touch your eyes or um, or touch other uh parts of your body, such as your nose or your mouth, because that's where the disease may transmit. So just kind of be very careful and be sensitive to the fact that, you know, you should be washing your hands and that's probably more effective than just wiping things down. And we know during something like this, that's causing a lot of panic. What are some of the myths that are going around that should be debunked? Oh, that's a good question. Um, myths. You know, I, I, I think there's a lot of panic and it, I don't know. I think the panic is based on some aspect of reality, but people have to understand the, there's always risk involved. For, for me to say there's zero risk, I think that's not true, but I think we have to manage those risks better. I just also want to give you some background that coronavirus is not a new strain of virus that we've never seen before. That, and in fact, there are four very common strains of coronavirus out there already that causes the common cold. You know, most of the time we don't test for it because it does not cause any issues. There are three more concerning strains, which would be your SARS years ago. It would be your MERS or Middle East uh, Respiratory Syndrome and then the current SARS-CoV-2 uh, or the COVID-19 uh, that we're dealing with now. But, you know, a lot of people have not heard of the coronavirus before unless it's associated with the worst symptoms or the worst strains. But there are more common strains out there that's in existence that we don't talk about often. Uh, so I just want to throw it out there uh, at that point regarding that. Uh, so regarding myths, I'm not sure they're myths, but I think they're just practices that, you know, you have symptoms that might be COVID-19. As I mentioned before, there are other things that could cause those symptoms and those other uh, diseases have specific treatments in place. So it's a missed opportunity if you just focus on COVID and not think about other things that could be going on. You know, we talked about uh, how viruses can survive on surfaces. For a certain period of time. It's not a myth, but again, if you're over-exaggerating your risk, I guess that can become a myth. And that's what I'm seeing most often uh, when I talk to the public as well as providers is that the risk perception of COVID-19 may not be realistic. That, you know, I, I was next to someone who was coughing. I think I have coronavirus 19. I can't say that's not true, but again, what is your actual risk for that? So I think that's the biggest myth buster is that when someone coughs, it's not automatically COVID-19. That if you see someone, you know, with fever, shortness of breath, it's not automatic COVID-19. That there are other things out there that might be more prevalent and we should not forget those things. Also, what could be the potential health impact if we relax social distancing restrictions too soon, like, like has been talked about on a national level? Yeah, and I think that's a good point that, you know, we're putting a lot of effort for social distancing, whether it's through the closure of non-essential businesses or closure of schools. If we stop that too soon, we do anticipate a second wave. And we've seen that before in the past with other diseases where our social distancing practices stop too soon and we see a second wave of 
illness. So we have to make sure that if we're going to do this, we have to do it for for a long enough time to make sure that's impactful, especially with so much, I, I guess, uh, repercussions of what we're doing. And, you know, I totally understand the economic, the social, I guess, repercussions from this. But, you know, if we want to do it right, we have to make sure we do it right and make do it for a, a long enough period of time. So, Dr. Hong, in your experience, uh, is this something that you've ever have you ever dealt with something like this before? That's a good question. I've been doing emergency management, disaster management for a long time, probably over 15 years. I've been with the Division of Public Health since 2005, not in my current role, but really been been part of the team, uh, which I really appreciate. And, you know, I was here during H1N1, the, the 2009 novel H1N1 influenza virus. And it was somewhat similar at first where this was a new virus and a lot of people were getting sick and it was kind of crossing country borders and people were getting nervous. So I kind of got a little deja vu early on with the coronavirus 19, uh, 19 uh, regarding that. So it was somewhat similar. Obviously, it's different now than than, co, uh, than the H1N1. You know, Ebola will also cause a public health concern. Uh, we didn't see that many cases, but very different from what we're seeing now. The mortality rate uh, was much higher for Ebola. So it was a different disease, but I think many of the um, initiatives we're doing now is very similar to what we've done in H1N1 and Ebola. But the way I kind of see it, every public health emergency is different, regardless of what it is. Yeah, and with Ebola, it didn't spread nearly as easily, correct? Well, it spread, I think, in different areas of the country. You know, I think the, the source of the infection, China initially, um, West Africa for Ebola, I think that has a certain part of it in terms of how easily those countries were accessible through travel. So I think that has an impact. Um, Ebola could be very contagious in the right setting as well, too. Um, Ebola was more contact, um, you know, where the COVID-19 is more droplet. Uh, so I get different mode of transmission. But fortunately for the Ebola, we didn't see too many cases in the United States. And how, how and obviously this is a huge thing, like you said, it's, it's not something that we, we see often in our society in general, but also that the Delaware Public Health has had to deal with. How are the people at uh, DPH and in the lab holding up? Um, so we've been working very hard. I mean, I am very fortunate to be working with a great team here who's very dedicated to really serving the public. It's really been a pleasure for me. You know, I have folks working seven days a week. Our lab typically is only open Monday to Friday. Our state lab is now open seven days a week. We are testing every day. Uh, so kudos to that team. My uh, team of epidemiologists, you know, they're working long shifts to the night, overnight weekends. Uh, many of us are doing that right now. You know, we're holding up. You know, we have to want to make sure not just for public health folks, but also our healthcare providers and community that they take care of themselves. We are a resource. And if we don't do well, that's another resource that we lose in the community. So this goes to my colleagues as well as the medical community and, you know, all those uh, essential workers and infrastructure, first responders as well. You know, we talked about daycare a lot, childcare services a lot, you know, our corrections folks as well, too. So there are many folks out there that's still working and working harder during this event that we all need to take care of ourselves. So, you know, I, I want to send my best wishes to everyone there. And also, what, what do you think are the best source for resources for the public to stay informed so that they get the best information? Right. So I, this podcast would be a good example. Um, <laughs> but yeah, got to put that out there. And I think it's really important to really have that interaction. Um, I find that the public responds very well to that. Division Public Health offers Facebook Live at times, and that's been well received. Uh, we have regular conference calls with some of our stakeholders, very well received as well, too. But, you know, we do update our information through our uh, website, which is www.delaware.gov 
backslash coronavirus. Uh, that's our most up-to-date information. People are, are welcome to review that source. Also, the CDC is really our, our standard uh, for information. So that's accessible as well through, uh, as well through www.cdc.gov. You know, your, your primary care provider would be a good resource as well, too. Many of the health systems have call centers, also has a website as well, too, to provide information. And I believe that the information is all consistent because we do talk very frequently. Um, we do have a call center here at Division Public Health if uh, the public has any questions. Uh, the number is 1-866-408-1899, or you can dial 711 for people with a hearing impairment. We also have a resource email address if you would like to email questions at dphcall at delaware.gov. That's great. So they'll have a good place to go. Yes. Um, in closing, just before we do the outro here, do you is there anything that we you want to go over that maybe we missed or you want to expand on? Um, yeah, so I, I kind of want to step back a little bit. I did give the number of cases we have now. And again, the numbers are growing and it is concerning the the, the the increase that we're seeing on a daily basis. But I do want to remind folks that we are testing more now that we have standing healthcare facility testing sites. Testing capability has increased. So the more tests we do, then you're going to have more positives as well as negatives. So I, I don't want to mislead people saying like, you know, having the numbers increased by so much is because the disease is spreading, which it is, but also the other impacts we're testing more as well. And again, we have those uh, statewide testing capabilities at the standing uh, healthcare facilities, testing sites. You need a provider order and then you'll be referred to one of those sites. Uh, usually it's a phone number or a um, email, an email address. And it's going to be by appointment and make sure you keep your appointment and arrive at the testing site as scheduled. We do offer an opportunity for those without a primary care provider to call our DPH call center line, the number I gave prior, so that we can help you get access to testing. Not everyone who wants a test will get tested. As we mentioned before, testing may not change the management of the disease course, that we do have a screening process in place both at DPH as well as at the testing sites. So if you screen positive to a point that you need testing or you qualify for testing, uh, testing will be offered. Also want to mention that we need to, again, do everything we can do to protect one another. This is not just a medical community or a healthcare issue. This is an entire statewide issue that we are asking everyone to be involved in this fight against coronavirus 19. I can't stress enough that everyone, we have to continue to do what we need to do to fight this infection. Don't, if you don't need to go on public, please stay at home and make sure you wash your hands and clean surfaces as much as you need to, to keep, reduce the spread of infection. And finally, most importantly, and you know we say this over and over again, if you do feel sick, even with mild symptoms, stay home. You don't need to be concerned about testing at that time unless you fit the criteria. And again, this is why it's so important that you speak to your primary care provider or call TPA, uh, DPH for further guidance. That means you must stay at home from work. That means staying home from the grocery store unless you really need to go out. Maybe ask your neighbor, ask me to help you get access to certain things to keep you at home. If you're at home, make sure you're separated from your family members as well, too. It's very important. Uh, so just to kind of summarize, uh, the symptoms that you should be looking out for if you're concerned with COVID-19 is a fever and cough with shortness of breath. You may also have mild symptoms very similar to flu, such as body aches and sore throat. But again, if you don't require urgent or emergent medical care, you should not leave your home to the emergency department or to an urgent care. If you can take care of symptoms at home, you, the best thing for you to do is to stay home and separate yourself from others.
Great. And Dr. Hong, I really want to thank you for joining us today on this and, and you know, with the goal of bringing really just the relevant information to the public uh, of Delaware. And thank you so much for what you and your colleagues are doing. I mean, you guys are essentially running towards the, the danger. So thank you for what you're doing and, and uh, helping us out as a community. No, and th again, thank you for this opportunity to share information. Um, we feel that by sharing information, we can help alleviate some of the panic out there and try to share accurate information to allow the public uh, to respond appropriately. And again, the final note is that we do need your help in this and that please do what's recommended of you, particularly staying at home and not go out in public if you can to avoid the spread of transmission within the community. Thank you so much, sir. And uh, please stay safe while you're doing what you're doing. Well, I appreciate everyone as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dincast. We'll have more coming in the future, and you can make sure that you get the latest episodes by following The Din on social media. We are on Twitter at Din underscore H-I-E, and you can find us on Facebook by simply searching for Delaware Health Information Network. Also, if you have any questions or suggestions about the podcast, and maybe have some suggestions about future topics that you would like to hear us discuss, please email us at dincast at din.org. If you would like to learn more about the DIN, please visit us on our website at DIN.org. Also, please feel free to give our new podcast a like and share it with those you think can benefit from our discussions. Thank you again for joining us, and let's talk again soon.